You got to try all the other milks too because there's pea milk. I will never drink pea milk. <laughs> Can't do it. Won't do it. They I got mean, a branding problem. They, I mean, they gave it a better name. <laughs> you know, you don't even know it's pea milk until you look at it. <laughs> of course you, until you look at the You better not know. Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 227 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam. I'm riddled with viral infectious gook. I'm Sam. My sweater's riddled with holes. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is October 14, 2019. Before we get started, we have a warning. Uh, we're going to have profanity. So you know, just uh, that's the thing that's going to be happening. We'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscash.net. We got a couple of messages. Uh, Mackenzie Cole says, thanks for talking about stuff. <laughs> we got you, Mackenzie. <laughs> nice to have some smart, down-to-earth people to talk about therapy, living better, trying uh, trying out being more veg-subsistent. Iron supplements made it go for me, Mackenzie Ooh, says. Et cetera. Nice. I love Crashlands, but the podcast and getting to laugh with you all has been a true gift. Thanks. Nice. And also, Stefania Lintonbon says, Hello, fellow podcasters from Stefania at Positive Affirmations and Audio Stories Podcast. Mm. So we got another, we got, we got some crossing the streams mm, going yeah, on here. Nice. Uh, and we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscouch.net. Right, let's talk about the fact that 2019 has returned to seek revenge on all of us. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, in this case, a tree branch has fallen on. Sam's wife's car. Correct. So, <laughs> so I think well, I think last week I reported that I had to replace all my tires. Right. I think I think uh-huh. that happened. So yes, that is correct. If I recall, uh, so 2019 just decided that wasn't quite enough to you know continue this along with the dishwasher episode from a few weeks ago. And so on uh, Saturday morning, my wife woke up to go to kickboxing and hopped in her car and then came back in the house screaming and was like, "What?" Because a huge branch from a sycamore. This is not the tree, by the way, that we cut down because it was because it died because it was dropping branches. Um, this is a different tree entirely that is perfectly healthy. Just dropped not a that branch, huge though. branch. Yeah, just dropped a huge branch uh, straight down, and so it basically fell like a sort of like a you know missile or lawn dart. Maybe. Oh uh, yeah. Just fell straight into the bottom of her windshield, like the bottom, perfectly centered, and so it just. Like just sort of shattered the whole thing through. But of course, it's a windshield and the modern ones don't – they don't like shatter. Yeah, they're filled with the glue. Pieces. Yeah, and so it's just cracked. It's cracked, yeah. Um, so that happened. And that happened on Saturday morning, which was just a thing. And this has been a weird year because it's – from a business standpoint, things have been going great. Yeah, it's coming you know? along. Like, yeah. like level head, like our production's singing along. Mm-hmm. Like the, the business is running just fine. You know, we got all these good deals in the works. Mm-hmm. Like – but yeah, but everything else. Everything else is on fire. Seems to be chaos. Yeah, yeah. and then her uh, laptop broke. Yep. So apparently some of the older surfaces, when they get a little hot at some point, the screen like sort of somehow becomes two screens on top of each other. This is just like our uh, our dash cams melting in the heat. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I think she's played too much Roller Coaster Tycoon, and that's probably what happened. You know? Couldn't. <laughs> Overheated on that 1996 uh, graphics. It's, a, it's an intense <laughs> one. <laughs> Depends how big your park is. You can get a lot she's of stuff She's got some on. very elaborate parks. Yeah, so uh, who knows what 2019 has in store next week, but I'm yeah, sure it's terrible. God. It'll be something. I'm sure it's terrible. 2020 can't come fast enough, to be honest. I guess yes. I did have a light flickering in my house. Uh, so that happened to me. Oh yeah, also, all of our rough. fire uh, smoke detectors went out. And then the one in the attic went out, which we didn't even know we had When you say it went out, what do you mean? They did a thing where they're like, bleep, and they just scream <laughs> at you for a while, you know? Ah, so the and then you have died. to go hunt them down, but they're... They only last long enough that you can't quite tell with yeah, like, your human hearing. Yeah. yeah, and they're so high-pitched that, that yeah, you painful. can't quite tell where they are because yeah. it just hurts too much. Exactly. But the, so, batteries, the batteries died for all of them? Uh, three of them, yeah. On the same – during the just same Just like week. over the course of the week. And then the one in the attic, which, again, we didn't even know there was one up there and it has been sealed, by the way. So there's like a little tent thing. So to go up there at like midnight when it started beeping – on Friday night and unzip this It tent. always happens at midnight. I don't know why. I'm <laughs> That's the time. Climb into the attic and uh, then, you know, stand on these 90 degree stairs that we have because it's an old house with an old attic. Yep. It was very exciting. It's like a ladder pretending to be stairs is what you Yeah, <laughs> That's basically what it is. That's, that's correct. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's great. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Uh, well, I've been, uh, I've been now 10 days. I haven't eaten a single piece of meat. That's wild for you, Seth. I, I don't want to say I'm a vegetarian because I'm I'm just – if I have the option, I'm just not eating meat. But if I, you know, 
if I don't have the option, then I just it's will. Fine. It's fine. You're you're vegetable forward. Yes. You know, like many modern restaurants. Yes. And by many, I mean a, a small handful. Um, <laughs> but it's been a fun, it's been a fun journey because I've been basically, you know, if you go to the grocery store, a lot of times near the meat section, they'll then have like all of the fake meats mm. in like a huge area. And so I've just been trying all of them. I'm kind of like creating a ranking of like, yeah. all right, because I know, I know meat. Have you tried? <laughs> I know my this meats. Man. You know? <laughs> have you tried the corn dogs yet? No, I couldn't find them, but okay. I'm going to keep looking. Mm. Uh, but I've tried burgers and sausages and like ground beef and stuff. Mm. And it's all made out of sometimes soy, sometimes wheat gluten, a lot sometimes of beans, sometimes pea peas, protein, pea yeah. protein. Yep. That's yeah. A new one. yeah. And so, so far they've all been good. Um, only one of them has tasted like meat and that's the beyond the beyond, beyond burger. Meat yeah. burger. Yeah. That one is, um, is, is exactly a meat. It's a drop in meat substitute. Yeah. Mm. But I think just like when I started, when I started, uh, switching to drinking soy milk instead of milk, you know, the first time I did it, I was really upset because I was like, this is garbage. This doesn't taste like right. milk. But then once I got over the fact that it didn't taste like milk, you can just kind of evaluate it. For just what it is by itself, and yeah. it's quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then the same thing goes with all these other things, which is they're good. They're just yeah. good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I try all the other milks too because there's pea milk. I will never drink pea milk. <laughs> Can't do it. Won't do it. They I got mean, a branding problem. They, I mean, they gave it a better name. <laughs> you know, you don't even know it's pea milk until you look at. <laughs> of course, you, until you look at the. You better not know. Although Honestly, they should have just called it pea milk because then people would think that was hilarious. It would be very funny. Listen, if you but if you are going to space, you'll probably have to drink real pea milk because you have to recycle the you know the pea, pea. and then put it, <laughs> put it into some milk powder. <laughs> yeah, then it's uh, uh, no. yeah. that's no good. There are some things, at least I guess from a verbal standpoint, that mm-hmm. you you can just can never do pea milk. Pea milk, don't do it. It will never be a, it'll <laughs> never be a product in the in the name, you know. No, soy milk, almond milk, yeah, everyone's into it. Yeah, pea milk. Don't yeah. know how you milked that. Yeah, my soybean, but my you own did. Personal, <laughs> my own personal rating from all the those milks is basically it goes the oat milk at the top. Mm. It's the most like milk. It's like it's thick and you know whatever. And then pea milk after that. Can't do it. And then soy, <laughs> soy milk after that. And then almond milk, I put somewhere in the basement. Really? Yeah, it's just like. Very it's watery. Fine. It's watery. Hint of almond taste. It's got. It's got it's nothing, nothing going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is something <laughs> I, I'd encourage anybody to just try this out, just because it's pretty. It's pretty mind. Well, it's just fun to do something different every so often. Yeah. You, know? you know, you don't have to be like I'm a vegetarian now. No, who cares? Just, just spend a week just trying out a bunch of weird, you know, meat, yeah. fake Eat a meat weird stuff. sausage. Yeah. yeah, it also helps to adhere to Michael Pollan's uh, food rules, which are eat food, mostly plants, not too much. I think that's, I that's the secret to not sugar's dying. a plant. Mm. Yeah, I violate all three of those <laughs> rules <laughs> on the regular. I know because the, the, that first one is eat food because he has to, he goes on and elaborates all of that. Oh, right? so sugar's not food. Sugar's not food. It's, it's, it's too processed from the original food source. Mm, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm having a good time with that. And I I know that a lot of people are like, oh, I switched to being a vegetarian or vegan and like I feel – I just feel so much – I don't feel any different. I feel no, exactly – Why would you? I feel exactly yeah, the same. You get the same caloric content. Uh, but I feel better about knowing that I, nothing had to die so I could have lunch. Mm, yep. You know, that's a nice – that's a nice – that's kind of red. like – little silver lining. You're probably also less likely to develop diverticula in your intestine. That's true. So that's a nice bonus. Nailed it. Yeah. Doesn't happen to American men like a ton more than yeah because because they eat so much meat. Yeah, and also <laughs> don't you? They just swallow it for some reason. So we're busy. It's basically, we're basically owls. Yeah, you got to just throw a steak back. You just yeah. Now, <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> you know. Just chew it once and then you swallow yep. it. Now I don't know if this is true of. Of Americans generally, or if it was just true of our specific Midwestern like, style, yeah. we had legit. Uh, we had a twenty-two minute lunch period in high school, and it took sometimes upwards of fifteen minutes to get to the cafeteria, get in line, and get your food. Which means you had to be trained to eat a whole meal and minutes. get back to your class in under seven minutes. Mm-hmm. To so this like, day, like I still eat so fast; it's just dumb. Yeah. My wife and I went out for our, our three-year anniversary on Tuesday night. We went to a fancy restaurant, eating some fancy food, and the guy would show up with the thing, and then he'd basically turn around. And his hand was gone because <laughs> you had eaten it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were just like a, we were like a vacuum. It was insane. 
Yeah. So there's a certain uh, sort of speed eating training that happens, at least in our, our part of the U.S. I, I don't not know. Even anybody else in Iowa, I've not talked to any other person from another school that had a 22 minute lunch period. I just it seems it. insane, you know. If you, what do you do in Grinnell? What do you do it? Um, yeah. Get it together. And then, Sam, you saw The Joker. Let's talk about that. I did. Uh, I thought it was very good. It's extremely hard to watch. It's the easiest way to put it. Extremely hard to watch. Very well done. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is ridiculous. That's yeah. the easiest way to put hard it. Hard to watch like it's too too bright, too like it's blinding. Uh, or- no, <laughs> no. It's everything else. Too dark. Uh, yeah, too dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't need to say too much more about it. But it Would was- you recommend Ah, uh, I mean, I would recommend if you know you can stomach it's it. Like if you're having too good of a day, yeah, watch some Joker. Bring yourself down. Yep. It's uh, <laughs> it's a lot of feelings, so mm. be ready if you're going to do that. Intense. Okay. Very intense. Okay. Uh, let's talk about studio news. First thing, we did our quarterly review. We do quarterly review, as you might guess, every quarter. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, that's every three months. And so essentially it gives us – we realize that after about three months, things have generally fall, flown off the rails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like no matter to what. To some extent or another. Yeah. No matter what we've managed to achieve or whatever, by the time three months goes by, things are getting pretty loose. Yep. You know. You got to have those regular check-ins. Yeah. You know? And so this is like a hard reset. We actually take a full day. Um, so we we don't do any development or anything else. We just take a full day and just go over the last three months, talk about what went wrong, what went right, changes we want to make to adjust mm-hmm. going forward. So I think the big thing for this uh, upcoming quarter is we're switching back to 16-hour sprints. Yeah. Uh, so for company – so sprint is – it comes from agile methodology of production planning. And it's essentially – it's like you have a meeting and you plan out like the next chunk of work for a certain amount of time. And a lot of companies will do two-week sprints. That seems to be like a really common yeah. um, amount of time. And so – uh, we were originally, when we switched to DevOps, we were doing 16 hours. So it would be Tuesday morning, production meeting. And then you've got the rest of the day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, and Thursday morning. And then Thursday afternoon, you plan right. out the next sprint. Mm-hmm. And then that's all day Friday, all day uh, Monday. And the main reason for that was because we were like, we don't know what we're doing. So we need to do this. We need to do this with enough, with like sort of a tight enough time window that we can really make sure that um, – that we're on track, basically. It's yeah. like a lot of practice, essentially. Yeah. And, and, and to be responsive was the main yes. thing. Yeah. And enough things happen in even just a couple of days that by the time you get to that uh, production meeting, there's a lot of stuff yeah. to go over. And so, of course, if you if you go a week or two weeks, then now you've got hundreds of things to go mm-hmm. over and it's much more difficult to keep it all in track. And then you end up sort of like rushing through the meeting and skipping a bunch of things and um, so we just kind of found – so when we switched to the uh, weekly patch schedule for Levelhead uh, or, or around, around early access launch, we kind of felt like it was out of sync with our production meetings. Yeah. So we switched to a weekly sprint and uh, we, we'd been doing that ever since. But as of this uh, quarterly review, we're kind of looking back and we're like, you know, by the time the end of the sprint comes around, things are just really chaos. Yeah, um, We're interrupting each other a lot. We're like – barging in, telling people that we've given them tasks when really it should be part of the process. And so – Well, a lot uh, of it too is that there's – because basically the thing that you're trying to do with with this kind of production management is get away from unplanned work. Yes. Right? And and what we found was that un, unplanned work was still – basically the longer your your sprint is, the more of it becomes unplanned work. And, and this is going to depend – at least for well, yeah. It depends on – on exactly what the roles in the team are that are doing the work, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're part of a really big team, uh, like building some like large institutional prod- product where plans are coming down from above about what needs to happen and the people who are doing the work don't have to respond to like administrative emails and whatever, right? Then I think you can get away with longer sprints because there's less unplanned work that can even be created. Um, but when your production team is the same as the team running the business right? Uh, and the same as a team managing – uh, managing employees, like man- doing everything, then it's just much more likely that there's too many inputs. There's basically. too many inputs, yeah. and, and so many of those inputs have nothing to do with actually even the product development. And there's a lot that is product development too. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think a really small team where where everyone's wearing a lot of hats, I think it's a lot harder to have a longer sprint. Yes. Yeah, so we're gonna be doing that. It's gonna be interesting. And uh, yeah, I think 16-hour sprints is probably as fast as you can do it. Otherwise, you would just be doing it every day, and then it's yeah, not a great way. To, yeah, it's just not a good way to kick off the day. 
Um, so that's happening. And then also Sam got an iPhone. Yeah. Adam got a Google Pixel. So we mm-hmm. discovered that these guys have been sitting on ancient – We've been overdue. Ancient, ancient technology. phone technology <laughs> for years. Not upgraded your phones. Also, my favorite thing is I walked in and I was like, hey, I could trade this in. And they looked at it because it's just like shattered up the back. (laughs) And they were like, no. (laughs) They're like, also, you own it, so it's fine. Yeah, you don't need to trade it. I was like, oh, It's just yours Um, now. You paid for it. Yeah, so one of the big questions we had was uh, can we get more more of an actual on-the-ground experience with uh, iOS, right? And a big part of it, of course, is because, you know, with Crashlands uh, and with Levelhead, we're not exactly sure what the mobile plan is going to be. But we do want to bring it to mobile. And so a big part of it was like we actually don't have across our team any familiarity with sort of the full stack of the iTunes side of things and the iOS side of things. And so, um, yeah, we're chatting about it. And then with the arcade, I was like, to me, the arcade is a phone selling thing. So I was yeah. like, I literally will buy a phone. It's like buying a console for God of War. Yeah, yeah I will buy the phone. <laughs> and I was, I was just so close to getting an iPhone for mm-hmm. that same. Like the, for the thing for me that broke it was the lack of a fucking headphone jack. Yeah, that was the thing. Yep. I was like, because I was looking at, I was looking at the Google Pixel, which, and basically the Google Pixel and the the iPhone XR are uh, basically the same phone mm-hmm. in terms of like all their specs and stuff. Like the the difference is now like, do you want an iPhone or do you want do you want an Android? Right, that's really the difference. Um, and for me, I was like, I really wanted to get an iPhone because I wanted the arcade experience, mm-hmm. but that lack of a headphone jack, I know it's kind of, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. The courage. Yeah. The courage. Yeah, I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. So there's a few of those things. But I think for the most part, the Switch has been pretty easy, honestly. Yeah. Like it, it took – it's taken some time to kind of like uh, migrate all my stuff over and do some of those things. But it's been pretty painless. The, the interfaces are not really that much different. No, not anymore. I think this thing's like actually early on they were. Yeah. But they've sort of converged in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, like they've they both stolen the good stuff from each other. And so it's kind of like – it's a lot of the samey mm-hmm. sameness. Yeah. Uh, it didn't take me too long to kind of get acquainted with it, despite the lack of buttons, uh, which is the newest thing. Um, but it does me. have a mute button, which is a nice. This is, yeah, there's a little, there's a little toggle, a little mechanical flip, toggle. Flip You're just like, shut up, and then it's done. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Does so, it just mute everything? Is that what? Yeah, nice. Um, so yeah, I, I got the the iPhone, which has been an interesting switch, and then uh, with that, the arcade, which has been super fun. Uh, you spent the weekend playing Apple Arcade games. Yeah, I played. I played Grindstone, uh, which is this hilarious. I showed Adam uh, Seth before the podcast. This hilarious puzzle game where you're basically chop you're just chopping through monsters in sort of a you know like a chain the colors sort of a game but it's it's gratuitous cartoon fantasy violence and it is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> so i've been playing that one and then uh mainly i was just shocked by ocean horn 2 which is more or less i mean the main unreal engine and it looks stupidly gorgeous and plays good and they did this interesting thing where because one of the one of the questions i've always had with 3d games on a phone is of course how you control the camera um, or if you have to somehow make a camera so smart that it can deal with whatever the player wants to do. Um, and so they actually have no joysticks on screen, which I thought was also fun because at this point it's kind of like people know, right? So yeah. Whatever. So bottom left is where you rub your thumb to move around. And then actually in the top area, if you rub your thumb up there, then you are controlling the camera now. Um, mm. But with no actual on-screen controls for those two things. And do, so, they, do they just have like a prompt that comes up when you first start playing no. that shows you? I got nothing. Hmm. And it's funny because I just poked it and I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, I guess I didn't need to be told this, to be honest. Like, <laughs> as soon as you start rubbing it, things happen, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, if, it's, if it responds, then you can figure it out. Yeah. And so, yeah, Oceanorn 2 is just it's just impressive, frankly. Um, it's a it's a good game. It's sort of like a Zelda-esque thing. Yeah. Um, and it's stupidly gorgeous. And I was like, how? What? Do they do – I imagine with – when you're trying to get a like a really high end game to work on mobile, probably what you do is you design a game like that where there's there's not you get to have really beautiful scenery and so on, but there's not a lot happening at any given moment, right? So there's like not, not a ton of enemies on screen at once yes. or anything like that. Yeah, I think it's like three three or four enemies at once, yeah. um, and I think that it looks like they're doing a really good job of sort of loading zones. Yeah, like I've gone in, I've gone into the mines and then it loaded in a chunk. Right, but, you know, so, like, so things are different rooms, and yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're kind of batching it in that way, yeah. but um, but it's yeah, it's been it's been very cool. So it's been mm. a lot of fun switching. Over. But you haven't played Sasquatch yet. I have not played Sasquatch. Yet. That's still the one that I want to hear. I about mean, that's that's as far as I understand. That's the one that really moves the eye. <laughs> it does. It yeah. does. Okay. Well, I'd like to hear more as you get to poke around more. And yeah. Goose game is in there too, right? Is it? I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. Okay. Sure, Perfect. I'd be curious to know how that uh, handles with touch controls and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And it was, really, yeah, it was the case when I, I got home with my new Android device, which actually I like it a lot more than my old Samsung because mm-hmm. um, it feels it's much more of a Google. I mean, it's a Google device, right? And so everything feels a hell of a lot 
tighter and less bloaty because also samsung packs their phones full with all kinds they of just, frankly garbage shit. apps yeah none of, none of it is any <laughs> good all sorts of weird it's really bad <laughs> and uh, and they and they want you to use them right mm-hmm. so like everything keeps on trying to just use in it so the first thing i do whenever i get a when anytime i've got a new samsung device is i make a folder and it's just called z bloatware it <laughs> yeah. starts with z so, it's so it end. goes to the it's end the of the end. list of my folders uh-huh. and then i just put literally every pre-installed app goes in there and i have never <laughs> opened that folder again yeah so i have i've definitely liked that a lot like it feels a lot better um being in the because I, I am very deep in the google ecosystem um with with uh because of course our work email is through mm-hmm. google what do they call it these days google business or apps for your mm-hmm. they used to call it google apps for your domain and they were like maybe this is unwieldy <laughs> I don't really know what it's a G suite G suite. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's called G suite. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so we got that. Of course I use Google to log into basically everything. And, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm just like so deeply enmeshed in that thing anyway, that having a phone that is also enmeshed in that actually feels pretty good. Um, so I I do like, I do like that piece, but it was the case I got home and I was putting it together and I was like, I was still having a little bit of that regret of like, cause there's no games to put on. There's no games (laughs) to put on there, you know, Uh, although, but then I, I opened up the app store. Or the, the, the Play the, Store. The, the Play Store, sorry. <laughs> Trademark infringement. <laughs> Did you get their subscription? Uh, and, well, because I was looking at what was in there, and there's actually a lot of really top-end games yeah, in there right now. Yeah. Um, like Terraria's in there, mm-hmm. and uh, I was the one I said, because it was like the first one on the list. But there was a whole bunch in there that were uh, also Stardew Valley, right? Yeah. So, oh. so I'm really curious if – I would like to talk to some devs who are in there with with titles that have done well or done you know okay in any way as, as premium titles on mobile – to find out what it's how doing. that's going, mm-hmm. right? Because because our our biggest worry with that service was that unlike Apple, they're not they're not offsetting anyone's risk to going in there, so, as far as we know, right? Of of uh, of giving you money up front to be like, hey, we know like by putting a subscription service, you might just actually make less money because now you're gonna be oh. competing with your own product. Oh, he knows there's an undisclosed algorithm. Yeah, so it's yeah. Like, hey, so put, it's, put your game in here, and hopefully that works out right. for you. And, and, and these and these things always come with some sort of a contract of of a of a of a required term, where you know it's like a you know six months or a year or two years or whatever. And and so that means that if you're going to go into this thing, like you have to be confident that you're not going to hamstring yourself in some way. And so I'm I'm just really curious. And I'm I'm going to look through the the list at some point of the games that are in there and see if there's any devs we know uh, who we can reach out to and just ask. How's, how's this how's going? This you know? Because if any devs listening, if you got your game in the what's it called? Google subscription. I don't know what it's called. Uh, the Google Play. I think it's, it's called Play something. I don't know. The subscription. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> well, if you got something in there, send us an email. Uh, yeah. We'd like to hear about yeah. it. Yeah, they, they have a like Apple does a really good job of just taking the one word that means the right thing and then just being like, this is ours now. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're just like Apple Arcade. Like now you'd say the arcade and like that's what you mean, yeah. Uh, or that's where you go or the games. app store, right? Like that's right. it's just theirs. Um, and then Google always they're always like second yeah. to, <laughs> to the to the plate, and so they have to come up with just something else. And they have to call Google Play. We have we have a fitness app. Do you do, do you, you play, play that? Fitness? No, you don't play it, but it's on Google. Play. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. deal with it. What about movies? That's on Google Play too. Yeah, but I, yeah, so I'm really movies. curious if since Google has that offering, if, if it actually is valuable, valuable to people, mm-hmm. if devs are going to start putting stuff in there. Because the interesting thing about that is that unlike Apple Arcade, there's no barrier. Because yeah. on the one hand, it's, it's hard to know what the incentive is if you might just be, again, competing against your own titles inside the broader app store, right? Or sorry, the broader Google Play store. Um, but on the other hand, if it actually does well and there's no barrier to entry... They, didn't they invite you to come in? You can't just put. I think you're in. invited. Actually, that's true. Yeah, yeah you yeah. are. You've got to be some. It's curated. Yeah. It is Otherwise, curated. it'll just turn into the app store, the Google yeah. Play Store again. That's interesting. Um, interesting. Well, we'll kind of see. We'll get some more perspective Things on all this stuff over yeah. the next week. Um, and then, Sam, you've been poking around with uh, some vector graphics programs. I want to hear some vector graphic program reviews. Yeah, these are just real quick. So I've been messing around with. Uh, well, as everyone knows, we do we use Inkscape for production of the actual art assets for something like Levelhead, actually for all of our games the past seven years. And um, I've been poking around with two other ones. So one is Affinity Designer, and there's other little one you might have heard of called Illustrator. Super like weird. Is that uh, it's like, made off. by some company called Adobe? I think it's Adobe. Adobe. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, they're new. Some new uh-huh. Um Yeah. So I, as part of just sort of this exploratory phase, just trying to figure out. Uh, as I was working on Inkscape, Inkscape. The new versions of Inkscape have not actually improved my ability to do work, basically. So I'm still on 0.482. They're up to like 0.9. They're or, 0.9. And they're about to launch the 1.0. Mm-hmm. They, they, keep, they keep removing your headphone jacks. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, <laughs> more so, there's, there's just enough things in it that are like broke that I, I can never actually jump. And so 
I've been poking around to see if there's another program that would just make sense that has some more tooling in it. Um, and so Affinity Designer has been interesting. Uh, there's a, a, like a 10-day free trial people can use if you're interested in that sort of thing. And the an Illustrator then is, is again, like sort of super powerhouse-y, but also it's kind of like all the other uh, Adobe products where you have to always use menus to do things that you should just be able to fucking do, right? And so, mm-hmm. for example, if you want to flip something in Illustrator – uh, in Inkscape, I just hit a button and I flip, it flips like, you know, H, horizontal H, flip done. And then in Illustrator, you have to open a, you have to click a tool and then click the thing and open a sub menu and then decide which one you're doing and then hit okay. And they, you got to input your two factor authentication. <laughs> yeah. They must have, like, did you check for their keyboard shortcut so stuff? The problem. So they do have keyboard shortcuts, mm-hmm. but, uh, not for everything. So they don't. They don't surface most things, actually. And do they have customizable ones, though? They are customizable, except you can't use Alt or uh, Control when you're putting in your keyboard shortcuts for some fucking reason that I cannot figure out. And also, apparently, no one on the forums can figure out. Everyone's like, well, why? (laughs) But then they have this really cool system called Actions, right, where you can build basically a macro. So you can record Uh yourself doing something, like, for example, flipping an object, and then you can assign it to a key. But you can only assign it to the F1 through F12 keys. So you can have up to 12 macros that are really – that are reach. up there. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what are you guys doing? But the, uh, F12, he's just F12. Yeah, but the tooling is is neat. And there's a bunch of, they're like they, so part of it is learning how each one of these programs handles basically <laughs> just the simple act of like adding two shapes together, right? And vector, which is like, if you have a square and you put a triangle on top of it, you just add them together and now you got like a weird sort of a rock trayer. shape, right? You got a trayer. Um, and each of them actually handles these things very, all three of the programs handle them differently. Inkscape, you're just like, boom, and it's done. And that's it. And that's your life now. Um, in something like affinity designer, you can, you can put the shapes together and add them together, but it's actually non-destructive, like non-destructive 3d modeling. And so basically what that means is that both paths are still present. And so you can then go in if you want and like move the square a little bit, but there's still one shape. It's weird. (laughs) And then, uh, in Photoshop, there's this thing called the, the like manage shapes tool. So you actually can't basically doing all that adding and subtracting stuff. Again, there's a sub menu for it that you have to click on that there's no hotkeys for, Mm -hmm. um, or you have to build actions and put them on F1 through fucking four or whatever. Uh, but in you, you can like uh, – it's just this weird thing where you basically you, you like hold a button and then you kind of draw through the shape to tell it which pieces to add together. I don't know. It's oh, like this okay. thing like the, all the workflows are just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And it was just sort of uh, – it was just reminding me that you know in the, in, the, in the building of any one of these tools, there are literally just thousands of decisions to make about how to do any one thing. Yeah. Right? And so what you come up against when you're switching tools or when you're coming into it for the first time is learning how this particular team decided to implement thousands of little tiny things mm-hmm. that the sum of them might just be really, really annoying in some <laughs> particular ways, right? And I think that was my original yeah. feeling. And also depending on the kind of work that you're doing specifically, right? Yes, and that's mainly what it is. It's like the stuff I do is not the usual use case for yep. something like Illustrator um, or even something like Inkscape. And so it's I've always just been sort of like, it's a square pig in a round hole, but you can't add them together sort of a situation. You know yep. what I mean? And so that's been a little what I've been feeling around. Yeah. So are you still just inkscaping it up, you think? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to keep on poking around Illustrator for another week or two. Um, but Get your clicking finger warmed up? There's just, it's the thing. Is like there's just there's missing features in every single one of these programs, or they handle some thing that I have to do a lot in a very annoying way. And so it's like, can you – Yeah, so this is – Something that so I just I just finished my two uh, GDC talks, mm-hmm. and one of them was about uh, DevOps, and a big part of of DevOps is learning about how waste is yeah. created in your in your workflow, and also the effects that waste has. And so, uh, one of the most interesting uh, sort of like stories from our past was Sam when we we heat mapped your cursor yes in Inkscape to see where your mouse was going and we discovered that like half of your mouse movements were going to menus and stuff or to tools or to, to tools. Yeah, yeah. To click on things. Um, and so we got hotkeys for all those things. And so then your, your mouse never has to leave the art. And then uh, even though half your time was going into menus, your production speed tripled. Right. Right. And it's because having to constantly leave the thing you're doing and go to a menu is actually a lot more expensive than just the time. Correct. Because you're, you're – It's mentally taxing. It's mentally taxing to task switch. And so it may be the case that even though like on paper you might ha- have like a quote speedier process because maybe like Illustrator has this this cool tool that you can mm-hmm. use or whatever. 
um, to do something that would take you a little bit more work in Inkscape. But if the whole workflow is filled with all of these annoyances. So this is, yeah, this is kind of where I'm arriving, overhead. where it's like there's things that I literally cannot do in something like Inkscape that Illustrator can do easily. Um, but as far as that, like the moment to moment grind of like 90% of the work of just building an image, it still feels like it's actually going to be more taxing. So I've been like half my work has been, I'll draw some stuff for a while and then I'll be like, why the, why the hell is that like that? And I'll go Google around on illustrator forums to figure out like how people fixed it. It's even stuff like if you, if you're using a selection tool, uh, you know, the selection, you draw marquee, you draw box, right? And usually it's, you select everything that's inside of the box completely gets selected for some reason, Illustrator's like, anything that touches this box is now selected. Mm. And you can't turn that off. <laughs> yep. So great. So now anytime I touch my mouse fucking anywhere, like I just grab everything on the screen and then like I'm doing it. And so <laughs> it's stuff like that where I'm like, and you can't, I can't get in there. Like you can't fiddle do with they, it. Do they have the little lasso selector that does the same thing? Because it's like, I don't remember from my Photoshop, was it Photoshop days? Which is literally back in old, old, old Photoshop mm-hmm. 20 years ago or whatever. Uh, I don't know if they had That a, was 20 I, I'll, years I'll go ago. I'll around. It was because the, the idea with all their selections is that they'll select whatever they touch, right? Yeah. But so they have that little lasso tool. You don't actually have to lasso stuff with it. You just like – you can just touch stuff with the line and mm-hmm. then it'll become selected. So you can use that to select whatever you want and right. only whatever you want instead of trying to box it. Yeah. So this thing is like I got to figure all these workarounds to like be able to have the workflow I want because yeah. it's not actually a natural workflow in that program. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, so yeah, there, yeah, there's that – there's that whenever you're picking up a new tool, so whether it's a new programming language or a mm-hmm. new art tool or whatever uh, – the, the you have to find this you have to strike this really weird balance that's that's really uncomfortable uh, of trying to learn the tool for what it is and using it the yes. way it was designed right uh, as while also taking the the way that you know how to do things and like jamming it in there right and what I've seen from people in programming languages of moving from one to another is that they almost always have a bad time because they're trying to make the other language just be exactly the language they came from. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just it just isn't. Yeah. You need to you, be like water. Yeah, you have to you, you have to you have to you have to change everything you're doing to fit that, right? Right. But you can't always do that depending on what you're trying to do. Or even if when you can, that might just make it so that your primary work is a big pain in the ass. Yeah. Right. So that's basically what I'm trying to figure out. I need to get to that point where I'm familiar enough with it that I can see you know how it's difference. trying to make me yeah. work and then figure and out if I can, can work in there or not. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. Mm, it's tricky. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, I think uh, we're gonna get on to some questions. So we're going to try to make a better effort to get questions earlier into the podcast because we uh, we always yammer too much. Yeah, which is important because we had, I think, three more things on the list of non-questions to talk about. We did. We had to talk. skip them. We, well, I'll just say we had to talk about Fortnite being dead, but we're not going to talk about that. Nope. It's, it's dead, though. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe it won't be dead by next episode, and then maybe we'll talk about that. Um, all right. Well, the <laughs> highest voted question from podcast.bscotch.net comes from Retro Banana Man NL. How is Metaphorgasm doing, Sam? Selling well? Very funny. Or did you manage to get it off the internet? Uh, no. So for tax purposes, I finally spent the, I think it took me like two hours, one Saturday, to actually make it so it's not like some weird illegal money thing happening to me. Cool. Got that. And then I had the a option. Lot, it's a lot of money coming, so coming money. from that book. <laughs> <making> <laughs> so many sales. Um <laughs> And then I think because – so I talked to some people at the Shenanicon about it because, of course, a few people brought the book to <laughs> Oh, did some people? I didn't oh, see yeah. it. Nice. Which did is did you sign it? I did. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I think to me it's become it's become like such a funny community in-joke yep. that I was like, it's fine. Just keep it. I'll it's just, a community <laughs> in-joke that you get like a few dollars off of every now and then. Yeah, literally. So right. You don't good. make money off it. It's just like a thing. You so. might get – maybe like twice a year you can buy yourself a sandwich exactly. yep. off of it. Get that poetry deal. money, watch out. So, <laughs> I, so I think it's metaphorgasm is just going to stay there. It's, yeah, it'll be there. For those who want to seek it out, mm-hmm. it's there at the uh-huh, top of yeah. the mountain. All right, next question comes Put from Chalosis. Can you all break down your current project management workflow, including how Crashlands tasks are tracked, uh, if there still are any? Do you use the same systems for home life? Mm. The second answer for me is very easy, which is just no. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> There's not nearly as much to, to manage. wrangle. It's because there's only two people at home, yeah, and we're doing mostly the same stuff. And also, I'm just not on top of stuff at home. Well, that's honestly, also, that's the main thing. <laughs> honestly, when we started doing our DevOps stuff, I did set up a Trello board for my home mm-hmm. things. I also did, and I never used yeah, it. Yeah, and we we actually did use it for a, a couple of weeks, and we got so much shit done. <laughs> like the house was just under control and then we got busy with non-house stuff and we just kind of stopped doing that and then everything just kind of got 2019 well there's this funny thing that happens though which is that um 
a lot of things you don't have to do, you know? Yeah. Like you could think of things to do that you like, oh, I need, like, I need to get this done. And the reality is if you don't do it, there's oftentimes for a lot of things, it's fine if you don't do it or you don't do it for a while. Um, and so I think with regards to home stuff, a lot of it is more in that category. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of it is recurring things that happen yes. like every month you got to do this thing, in which case having like a production meeting thing is weird. Instead, you need you need something that like has recurring reminders mm-hmm. or whatever. But it's true. Yeah, almost everything at home falls in the non-urgent, yes. non-important category. Until you got water or, coming through your roof. Yeah. Or important yeah. and non-urgent. Which or is, important yeah. and non-urgent. Yeah. So it's I, all in the non-urgent. So I actually use Todoist for managing all of my non-work stuff. Because you can put recurring uh, reminders on there. You can categorize stuff into groups. And uh, you can also share things. So Sampada has her to-do as I have mine. And then we have a, a shared uh, mm. set of lists that are like house-related things and stuff. Yeah, we use, we use Google Keep for shared things. Which Google is mostly, Keep. Google Keep. Uh, which is mostly for just shared uh, grocery lists and that sort of thing. I see. Yeah. So the workflow in the studio is a bit more involved only a little bit though. So we, because we have a Trello board, everyone's on Trello boards. And then as far we as have like, a kind of, we have it's, it's like a hybrid of per project slash per person sort of. Yes. Because uh, we found that people tend to only look at one board, Adam. Well, people can, all, people can only <laughs> really, <laughs> really, yeah, people can only really do one thing. People can uh-huh. focus on one thing primarily. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so you got to uh, respect that. Yeah. So well, we, it depends how much stuff is on the board. So, so we have a, we have a, a, a I guess production, no, a studio operations, board, operations yeah. board. Um, which is then kind of like mostly what Sampada takes care of, but there's a lot of stuff that other people take care of. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because when it comes to other people taking care of stuff on that list, I'm like, I'm the lowest on that in terms of the number of things that I have to do. That also means the less you you interact with the thing, the less you care and the less you check it, right? And we found that this was a general phenomenon that we used to have a lot more boards Mm -hmm. and we've over time consolidated them down to – to the sort of like project slash person specific thing and and even even things that it's like I have a web dev board, but even things that aren't really web dev, if somebody knows I need to do it, it goes into that inbox because right. that's the one I'm paying attention to that I you know I factor into my time spend for the our sixteen hour sprints and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. So the way the way it works then is that over the course of any given sprint, uh, everyone's dumping cards into the inbox. So you might say, Oh, I had this idea for this thing, or oh, we need to fix this, or I found this bug, whatever. You just throw it in the inbox. Don't talk yeah. to anybody about it. Don't bother it. anybody about it. Whatever, because we got 16 hours till the next one. Um, at the conclusion. That's, that's that part of that value of that short sprint. Yes. Because if, you can check yeah, on Because work. almost anything can wait for two days. Yes. And so we then uh, check in during the production meeting. So production meetings are run in board order. So we go studio operations first. Basically, the idea is to to go through the, the boards on Trello in the same order that work tends to get produced downstream. So mm-hmm. first start with operations because some of the decisions and operations cascade into the other categories of work and then create cards or work move work into those categories. Yeah, a lot of it for us is because we're doing because we have that split work where we're we're making mm-hmm. the product but we're also managing the company and so we have extra complications there yeah and we've, yeah. So, so a lot of it is making sure that we know how to allocate time right yes. and so so, yeah, so we, we move in sort of the direction in which things in which time gets allocated mm-hmm. uh, and can be freed up or not and so on yep and so it goes studio board and then uh, portfolio maintenance stuff so it's basically crash lands slash everything else it's as well sure as stuff yeah all the all of the platform specific things and then into level head slash web dev. So like basically web dev as it relates to level head stuff and then uh, level head. So the reason that order of ops is that way is so that people can leave the meeting as soon as possible. So basically sample is done after the first board. So we, Boom, yeah, we out. start, we start the production meeting with everybody in the studio and then people just leave yep. as their stuff is assigned yeah. and taken care of. Uh, and you just count up how many hours you have available given other meetings and things you may have planned or other things going on. Yeah, so you check the calendar, check it's all like, your Okay, cards. 14 hours available. We're going to put in then like 11 hours of actual slotted work for you to do. So you have some slack time and then you pick those like couple of tasks and that's it. So then for the next two days or a couple of days, uh, you just go to your Trello boards. You know exactly what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And then we make sure that – so then we have on the board, we then have the the doing pile, which is where that stuff mm-hmm. goes. And so the session basically looks like we we look at the the done or needs review or whatever categories and clear those out. So that's just out of the way. And then we go to the inbox to find out what needs to happen with that. Mm-hmm. And so we take every item in the inbox and either move it into to do if it doesn't need to happen now or into doing if it really needs to happen in the sprint. Um, or if it turns out to not be important, we just delete it. Yep. Or just delete it. Yep. And the best way to get work done is to not do it at all. Yes. And then we make sure that basically the top of your to-do list is stuff that if you ended up clearing your, your, your doing pile, then if you could just go pull stuff kind of willy nilly out of the top of your to-do list, 
uh, or your to-do stack, um, then you would still be accomplishing important, mm-hmm. useful stuff. Yep. So, and I, and I think as far as like the software dev side goes, there's one extra part of the Trello board, which we added more recently, which is, so it goes inbox, to do, doing, then testing, mm, then yeah. done, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's, it's essentially using the Trello board to represent the required steps for a piece of work to go through. Right. And, and we have to treat it as, as mandatory. And so uh, before we had the testing step, that was like a manual required double check for everything that you did. So we had so many things falling through the cracks. Oh, yeah. And so now something isn't done until you've run it through whatever the testing procedure is for mm-hmm. that thing, which is really nice. And thing. the testing one gets converted. It's either testing or waiting, depending on the style of board. It's so like the studio ops board. Like we don't, we're not testing. You're not testing an email. Testing in there. Um, but you might be waiting. So yeah. instead of mm-hmm. instead of leaving that in your doing pile, like where it's kind of clogging stuff up, you just say, oh, yeah, I emailed this person. I'm waiting on it. So that goes in here now. And then you wait there until it's done. Yep. yep. So, yeah. But I mean, it's the most important thing is just to like step back, recognize how work needs to move through the organization and then set up your uh, structure to, to make sure that. that that happens. Um, and, and also to try to make it so that work doesn't go backwards. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. the key thing. Like if, if you move and something, do unplanned work, it's those, yeah. those are the two keys to the, yeah. So if you're moving things from your inbox into your doing pile outside of a production meeting, that's a problem. Cause now you're just like, now you're just doing things randomly. Yeah. Um, was well, also that's un, that's that's basically a definition of unplanned work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody agreed on what was going to happen, and then, and then you're you like, did and you're like, no, I mean, just grab shit out the inbox yep, and yep. just do it. Um, so if those things are happening a lot, then you've got a structural problem. And you can even do this just if you're doing solo work. You can do this with yourself, right? Because you can have the same setup, and then yeah. for yourself, your production meeting is basically you sitting down with your board and then going over it yourself, right? You do like a twice weekly check in. I mean, you can even do it every morning, right? Because there's no there's no there's meeting no discussion. Overhead. There's yeah. no discussion has to happen. Uh, and honestly, I think you should do it every morning if you're if you're a solo uh, dev, and because so that, that'll basically throughout your day as emails are coming in, like things are happening, you just take all those things that are being generated, put it in your inbox, and don't worry about it. And then just tomorrow evaluate morning, the next day, next day, like go go through your inbox, finish out your plans, and and you know, yeah. The general point here is, and this is this is really true for um, it's for anybody who wants to be productive. Is like one of the best things you can do, the highest leverage thing you can do at all to just sort of get going is just to plan your day. Literally, like if you take 10 minutes at the beginning of your day to be like, what am I doing today? And what's important? You just will have way better days. And so it's this, it's the same sort of idea in an organization, right? With the production yeah. meetings. Yeah. You know, and, and in the organization, more complicated. Yeah, in the organization, <laughs> you call it a, a cadence, a yeah. work cadence, which is like the rhythm by which work gets planned and executed. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you don't have any kind of routines built around uh, the planning and the execution of things, then you have to be remaking decisions all the time yeah. about when you're going to be making other decisions and then you're just tired. Yeah. And I've actually found, so I've been doing, um, I've started my second, or I guess my third art class uh, online. And I noticed this with how I've been doing my scheduling for the art class. Previously, I would just be like, sort of mentally be like, all right, the afternoon on Saturday, I'm just going to be doing all this art stuff. Um, and recently I've been using this thing called Focus Mate which I found through that indistractable book where basically you just sign up for a time slot and then you have to meet someone online with your webcam uh, yes. at that time slot uh, to do your work. And it's just enough social pressure where you, you will actually show up. At least yeah. it's working very well for me. And legit, all you do is you just come in and, and you go, what are you working on? And they're like, I don't know, I'm studying for the SATs or something. Mm-hmm. What are you working on? And you're like, I'm doing art for the next yep. hour. And then they're like, everybody's like, all right. And then and you then mute and then you mute, just hang out. And then you could just see each other working yeah. and that's all you've got, yeah. you mm-hmm. know? Uh, but so the difference then for me this time has been I, I remember my mental state. The previous one was I was always worried about when I was going to get the time fitted in because I didn't actually – I might plan a time, but there was I didn't need to stick to it because who cares? Because right? if you didn't show up, fine. You're not standing anybody up. Yeah, or? but with this thing, I, I basically just slot out somewhere between 7 and 12 hours a week then of time that I'm going to be working on art. And then I just show up. I have to show up at those times now. So I, I've been doing one every morning before work. And then I've got three tonight and then two tomorrow night. And so it's like, I just know exactly when it's happening and I will be there because I don't want to let rando on the internet down. No, you know? no. Which is really just me. You know what I mean? Isn't it funny We're how- all just a rando on the internet. Yeah. Isn't it funny how badly people generally treat randos on the internet, but then for some reason when you're going to have like a webcam session with a rando on the internet, you're like, I can't- I. I gotta I've, be there. I've literally never met this person. And I'm never going to see them again. But I, I have to be. <laughs> I don't want to let them down. Yeah. Don't, don't want to make this person disappointed. Yep. Uh, our next question comes from Wiggly Honk Quick Pie. Ooh, that's a good one. Who says, "What are your plans for solving the new player experience problem once you guys launch 1.0, especially in the community generated content area?" Thanks. 
All right, I will say we've given up. <laughs> yeah, uh, more or less. So the the campaign with its unlocks was our original idea of the new player experience because we said like people are they have no idea what they're looking at. We everything in this game is new and it has analogies. It's got similarities mm-hmm. to other things, but um, but it's all new. And so what we found was that people just hated that. Because yeah. they they felt like they now had to play the campaign, the whole thing, and hundred percent it before they could ever do anything. Which else. was true in the sense of you couldn't get access to certain things until you beat. Yeah, like you couldn't well. build uh, like a level with spike traps until you're halfway through the campaign right. or whatever. So if if you're saying to yourself like literally the only level I can imagine building is one with spike traps, mm-hmm. then yes, that's definitely true. That you you got to get there first. Right. Um, so what we found was then people would come into the game, they would play the campaign for like 12 hours first, and if they survived that phase, then they would start to engage with right. the community, yeah. right? Um, and so we found that once we removed all those campaign locks, then people would come into the game and they it's would – much more fluid. Yeah, they'd play the campaign a little bit and they'd be like, ooh, I'm going to go see what else is going on. And then they'd go start building levels yeah. and then they'd be like, I'm confused. And then they'd go play some other people's levels. And so – the campaign is basically there as like a safety net. It should give you to, something that's always fun to do, basically. Yeah, with, um, a, with a reasonable sense of progression and yes. that you can opt yeah. into. Yeah, the reality is that we can't – there's no way that we can control uh, someone's first – it's like it's like if you tried to control sometimes its first experience on the internet mm-hmm. or on Twitter or something. Yeah, what happens when somebody opens up Google Chrome? Like, yeah. how, do you con- Where, how do you control it? Yeah, they're going to go somewhere. They're gonna, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And it might be like know. a good thing, might be a bad thing. And so I think it's, that's a big part of it is that, um, you know, in any, any given day, there's incredible stuff at the top of the marketing department. But I think for the most part, the question is just how hard is it really? Um, but that's not really something we control. Well, so, and I'm less worried about it for the new player experience at, at the outset because what, we, what you can see, there's an interesting trend, which is like when we first launched into early access – um, the levels that were made at that time, a lot of them were like five-star max difficulty levels. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, if you go back and play those levels as a player who's been playing for several months, you'd be like, this is trivial. Fine. This yeah. is super easy, right? Mm-hmm. Because the community will on average make levels that are based around the average skill level of the community. Right. Or probably a little harder than the average yeah. level of the community. <laughs> yeah, so, if you, so if you end up with a huge influx of players around launch, then you, what you've got There's is also a whole – making content. Yeah, you got a whole bunch of – bad players who don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. uh, making content, which means the levels are generally going to be a lot easier kind of mm-hmm. at that outset. They're not going to be built around bugs and gimmicks and tricks. Right. That comes the next week. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> yeah, week that's when everything flies <laughs> off the rails. Yes. I, I think it'll be fine. I do. We will be we're reevaluating some aspects of the campaign already. Um, just like I've been, I swept through and added armor to a bunch of things. Basically I made the campaign just, I'm trying to make it just more enjoyable, just like a way more enjoyable experience throughout. Yeah, and it, it is the case that our our goal leading up to the the full launch is actually to put a lot of focus on the campaign. Yeah. And that's a big part of why. So we've updated our, our patch schedule to now be much more spread out because those campaign changes are just very heavy. Yeah. Um, we need to make more For example, those. if you're like, oh, we want to add armor into the campaign more. It's like, okay, let's go Where? update 30 levels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And yeah. then while I'm in there, I'm like, oh, this is actually a terrible thing. And then I go, yeah. So, yeah. so you're, you're going to re, it's just like refactoring kids. It's right? refactoring. You're going to refactor it while you're in there. So you're not going to spend half an hour per level instead yep. of just five minutes. Then you have to beat each one to actually get it republishable yep. to make sure it's basically tested, you know? Yep. Yeah, and so and we also would like to add more unlockable, like unlockable avatars into the campaign. So, yes. like, you achieve certain things, you get a cool, like, you beat some really hard level and got the GR17, and it's like a Lazumi level or something. And yeah. like get a cool Lazumi avatar. Yeah. Like so, as far as like new player experience stuff goes, I'm always, it's always a mix to me because there's game. I mean, I think a lot of the experience on mobile is so handheld or locked where yep. you can't, they won't let you touch anything except for the thing that they're trying they to do. They do that touch. bullshit where they darken the whole screen. Except for like a little And zone. then they hi- then they glow the button and they put like an arrow. And they're like, buy this guy. And I'm like, I don't want this one. I want the other one. But we <laughs> no. need to show you how our currency works. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so you can buy That's it. like that degree. And then you have stuff like Minecraft, right? Where you're just like, I'm really, I guess I'm a block person now and I need to make N-shaped pants. And that's my life. Um, I got to use the wiki to figure everything out. So we kind of landed somewhere in the middle. I think being like, in the middle is the best place to be where there's there's just enough to get going. Um, which is for us, it's it's you run through the first two levels of the campaign, which shows you you have to deliver the package. Mm-hmm. And here's the the grappling hook, yes. basically. Uh, and then whatever. Then it's, it's your problem now. Because I think you really what you want to do is set, set the person up such that they're – they like the content and they're excited about it enough that if they run into any hitches that they're 
more likely to either just keep on coming back or to go search out answers for those things like online yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I, think, I think the one thing we'll, we'll want to really consider with all this is how do we train people to understand how to how to find decent content in the player made mm-hmm. content. I think that's going to be the trick is that a lot of people are going to have that experience where they, the first thing they'll do, because because we don't actually guide what the first thing they do is to interact right. with the community. Right. So the first thing they, they do may be to go in the marketing department. Um, and if they're in there, that's a very different experience than going into the tower, right. In terms mm-hmm. of what, what you can actually do, like what it, what it means for that content to be in there. Um, and it's a, if a, if a person, publishes a level before they go to the marketing department, then that actually is kind of connected and makes sense because now they, now they saw their level go in there. We tell them stuff about that. But if they just want to go right into player-made content, at the moment, there's no way actually, like there's no way for you to know, oh, I know what a marketing department is. I know what the right. tower is. Yeah. And even when you're in there, understanding what it is you're looking at and why it is that way. Yeah. I mean, you have to go explore currently. You have to go explore. So I think that, that might be the one place, especially the marketing department, because the, the tower is kind of self-explanatory because it's a browser and you have all these sorting options and stuff. Um, but the, the yeah, part of maybe less, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's say. always mixed on these things. Cause there's, there's, so I started playing uh Dwida with the, the pixel wizard game where basically every, every pixel simulated and you run around, you got a wand and you're like, it's basically like a run and gunner sort of thing, mm-hmm. but you have a wand. And so naturally there's different spells that come out at the end of it. sort of the idea. Um, I started playing that last week and I've only played it just a little bit, probably two hours or so. And they do not tell you anything. <laughs> about anything uh-huh. and the weird thing is it's fine yeah because the thing is like the basics of it are compelling enough that you're running yep. around and you just sort of you're just slowly kind of picking up because you can still play it without knowing anything yeah. that's what the yeah, point I think that's super fun though because it's it's you get in there and you're just like what the fuck is that yeah like yeah. what am I yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and of course with uh, with Levelhead we actually kind of realized that we wanted the workshop to be like if you're a kid and you go to a friend's house and they're like check out my toy box yeah. and you pop <laughs> right. that shit open. You're like, what is all of this? Mm-hmm. I've never seen half of these yeah. things. Right. And so we wanted it to be the case that, yeah, you're going to see familiar stuff. You're going to see spikes, you right. know, and things where you're like, Oh yeah, I get that. And then you're going to see like a key switch and you're like, fuck do well, I so, use this for? Yeah. And yeah. from watching, from watching people who are doing their first builds, cause we watched a few streamers work on this and people do exactly what I would imagine they do in a situation where there's just too many things, which is they just pick like two or three things. Mm-hmm. And that that's literally what they're building a level out of. Because at any given point, like you don't have – the reason the campaign exists is to make it so you have the mental bandwidth at the time just by playing to experience all these different things and get an idea of what's going on. You cannot do that from inside the editor. Like yeah. people, people don't do that. Literally, they, they open it up. They put down like a barrel and now they're making the level entirely about barrels. They just yeah. don't yeah. – they just ignore – so I, guess, I guess our main approach then for the for the new player experience is to force them to play like two or three campaign levels yep. just so they know how to move. Just so they know – just the so bases. they can move around and they've seen decent level design and that sort of right. thing, right? And then and after that, we just say, all right, it's up to you now. It's all the campaign is here if you need it, yeah. but otherwise, yeah. go crazy. Yeah. So I, I think I think that's the right move, and then and then the campaign will basically serve to fill out some more lore because we're going to be working on some extra little mm-hmm. cutscenes and stuff, um, and then have cool little extra cosmetic flair that you can get access to by by just being good. So uh, all right, next question comes from Mopate Flatonk, who says you guys are avid learners and seem to always be trying to ingest information. How do you decide what to learn next? Is it a conscious decision or do you just let the universe decide? Mm. It usually kind of comes out of necessity in a, yeah. lot of time, a lot of cases. Yeah, I think for, for me anyway, it's I'm, I'm always trying to keep in touch with what's for like for web dev, kind of what's mm-hmm. what's hot, what's hot, what people are paying attention to. And you got to be really careful with web dev in particular because there's always some new hot thing mm-hmm. this week and that's going to be gone next week. And and so you want to wait until something has settled a bit, you know, uh, and and gotten – and gotten good in terms of having good uh, uh, tooling and, you know, all that like kind of full stuff. community around yeah, full community and all that. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of just always on the lookout. So I, I have like my, my feedly where I have all my RSS feeds of stuff that I read includes things from like CSS tricks and from uh, just like, like various tech blogs from people and stuff. Uh, and I listen to podcasts. So I, I listen to a podcast called syntax.fm, which is all about web development. Uh, and so I, I'm just like hearing about all the stuff, right? Right. So that I can every once in a while be like, oh, that seems like something I should actually like learn about because it could be really useful or just everyone's talking about this and it seems like right. it's growing. come up enough. Yeah, it's come up. Yeah. So uh, so then recently that was like, so a few months ago, then that was like, that for me, that was TypeScript, which is, I'd been hearing about it constantly for frankly a long time. And, and I was like, maybe I should actually investigate what it would mean to, you know, build this into my, into my systems. And so I spent some time taking some courses and, and practicing with it. And then 
discovered that it is very powerful and and uh, and now that's part of my my core tool set mm. and then similarly just been hearing about graphql constantly for for months but this is like this is a brand new weird thing and i didn't even know what it was I, like i had no idea what to even like what it meant and so that's one of those things at some point i was just like i've been hearing about this enough i need to go fucking learn what this is right. and so I, I can't use it because i haven't learned enough and i haven't played with it but now i know what it is right i learned i learned enough that i, that I have a, just a general sense of what's going on out there and feel like if i needed to go add something to my toolkit and for, for me it's mostly being aware of what is possible so that when i'm confronting a problem i'm aware of like oh yeah okay this problem my current tool set would be fine but now i know about this thing called graphql for example that if i were to go learn that and solve it using this would probably make my life a lot better you don't have to learn it you have to learn a little bit about about it it. exactly yeah Yeah. Yeah. right well i think it's there's something to be said i think for for the for the toe dip which is something i i've done a lot which is i mean even back when i started working on inkscape the first time i did anything in inkscape i made just like some really simple, stupid stick figure drawings, mm-hmm. right? And that was, that was entirely my goal because I'd been reading the Oatmeal comics and I was like, I can make pictures that approximate that probably. <laughs> uh, turns out it's harder than that. But uh, uh, <laughs> so I got in there and I started just making, it was for free illustration software and I made some stick figures and then I just let it, I just didn't do anything with it for like six months. And then yep. Seth and I started making games and I made some art form in that um, because I'd also been using it to make like little tiny web icons for some web dev stuff I was yeah. doing. Um, but there was never a concerted effort to like learn Inkscape. It was sort of until we were basically doing the studio full time. So what I've noticed in terms of my pattern is I, I basically dip a toe sort of just repeatedly into something or I'll go, I even picked up Blender a few weeks ago and did like three hours of tutorials in it. That's probably the third time I've done that. Right. Uh, picked up uh, Unreal a few months ago and did like the little pinball tutorial where you learn how Mm -hmm. to make a little maze game and just sort of picking up and putting down all these little things just so you know what, what is out there and what could possibly be useful. So I just, I always have just a big list of stuff that, so I actually don't use, I don't use like Todoist or anything. I don't have actually like a to-do list. I just have my workflow, which literally now is just an inbox. It's just an inbox and then an archive is sort of the two modes. Hmm. And the inbox just has this, it's just an gr- ever growing list of stuff that I was like, this might be interesting to look at. But like if you hear about yeah. a, an interesting book about something you don't know about, exactly. Like, just throw that on my list. Yeah. And then yeah. Next time you're looking for something to do, you just dip yeah. into that one list. Of the, speaking of books, like one of the best ways to do it is to sort of rabbit hole through books. So if you're reading a book and it's good and the author mentions another book, right, just go down. get that book next, yeah. right? And so and you'll end up just in weird places. So I just finished a book called Hope in the Dark, which is about it's about like activism and stuff and about the concept of hope. I, I would never have just picked that off a <laughs> shelf, but it was around, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so I ended up yeah, reading it. It's re- yeah, and, and about it's about exposing your mind to – uh, sources of information that open up new sources of information. Yes. So like, I, I liked to listen to the Ezra Klein podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just finds uh, usually authors or activists or just people with like interesting scientific backgrounds or whatever, um, usually who have written a book. And then he'll interview them about their work and about what they've been doing. And and so not only do you get the book recommendation just based off of that mm. person, if you're like, oh, I like what this person's talking about. This sounds interesting. You can now go read their book. But then also he always ends the podcast episode with asking them for their three book recommendations that they think everybody should read. Mm. So you actually get like four book recommendations from every episode of this yeah. uh, podcast. And so I've read tons of books just off of that alone. Mm-hmm. And usually, like you said, it's about things that I would totally not have sought out or, or heard of. Yeah. Like my favorite one was the the book How to Do Nothing. Mm-hmm. Just such a weird book, you know. Like it talks about like hippie communes and yeah. uh, and about art. And it's a very academic book. It and is it's really like, deep. I, you told me to read, it and I was like, okay, yeah, sounds fine. I'll yeah, check it out. Uh, but so I think a lot of it is is just sort of uh, being willing to to check out things that you know nothing about. Like that's mainly it, right? And and also, or, or even in some cases, things where you would maybe be dismissive of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, outright because like I, I've I've told a number of people who know me very well that hey I haven't eaten meat in the last uh, ten days yeah. or whatever and they're like what <laughs> yeah <laughs> that I would not have expected that in a million years right. uh, but but uh, like I never had a particular strong opinion about meat it just tasted good and right. it was a good source of protein mm-hmm. but if I can just meet those two criteria in another way then it's fine and if I if I sort of am willing to break the the routine and break the habit and just yeah. like try some stuff. Um, then you can find all kinds of interesting stuff out there. Yeah. I think the reality is if you can, if you can set aside, you know, an hour a day or even just a couple hours in a given week where it's just learning time, like mm-hmm. that's just the best, honestly. And you just, 
have a list of things you've been kind of keeping an eye on, maybe articles you want to read or books you want to check out, uh, and then just go dive into them. And then don't worry about like you don't. I guess I always used to think that you had to get all the way in if you were going to go no, do something. And I'm like, I just don't care anymore. Yeah, and I think using using something like Feedly with with uh, sources uh, that kind of like that kind of so whatever it is you're into. So if you're into game dev, then you can you can add you have some having an aggregate feed reader, right? Uh, that you can get uh, game whatever. What are, Gama Sutra and mm-hmm. like a, and a handful of other sort of like game design focused uh, places that you just have that have like the top things just come arrive on your device and you can just flip through it and be like, oh, is this does this seem like something that I could learn something from? Right. Um, and if you do that with whatever it is you're into. So, again, if it's web dev, there's a whole bunch of resources for that, too, because uh, you you will be just confronted constantly with things you've never heard of mm-hmm. or seen. And then you can always at, every time you see that you should just go one layer deep, just like. Follow the link, you know, mm-hmm. like anytime you hit, you see a word you don't know, follow that link, try to figure out what that is. I'm, I'm doing this right now with, uh, with unity. So I can try to try to get a sense of like what the unity ecosystem looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and my approach to these kinds of things, like if I want to like really learn a thing, I, like I'm literally reading the documentation right now, right? Because I opened up unity and I was starting to take a tutorial and there's, it's sort of like opening up, uh, illustrator or anything yeah, else right yeah. there's, there's a million things. menu items yeah. there's a million <laughs> damn menu basically items. you need a campaign to play through yeah you uh, do yeah instead of yeah. <laughs> but, I, but i was like even and they were like talking through the things and they'd be like oh yeah so you can you know you can make this kind of an asset mm-hmm. and, like it pops up on the screen and then it's thing pops out and then it has and there's even like a little filter view thing and you open it up and there's literally 50 things in this checklist of things you yeah. can uncheck and I've never, I don't even know how to convert any of those those words into something that makes sense. Yeah, you don't in know. My brain. I don't know what any <laughs> right, of it is, right? right? And so I was like, so I was, I was like taking this tutorial, and like this guy was like doing this high level stuff, and I was like, this is actually, I know too little about this. I know too little about three D mm. game engines for a high level like tutorial to leave me feeling anything but dissatisfied. You know, it's interesting because so I'm literally reading the documentation. Yeah, it's interesting that that's your approach because mine's always I just do a few of the high level things first. It depends on the thing. I usually get like a very broad. Yeah, if, high if level it's view. something that I feel like I already have some knowledge in, mm-hmm. then even if there's a lot of like unknowns and questions, I'm I'm completely content with like the first high level thing, right? So like if I'm learning a new program, like I've learned enough programming languages by now that if I want to go to another one, I just dive right in. Like right. there's not a problem there. And then over time, I start to accumulate actually sort of language knowledge. knowledge about it. Yeah. But when it's something completely, because I, I honestly feel like like Unity compared to everything else I know is just like, it's just a different thing. Because Unity isn't programming. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a comprehensive suite of tools, yes. right? That's what it is. In the same there's way, there's programming in there. There's programming in there, but that's <laughs> but, actually like a almost an aside. Like if if you're right. if you're doing any work at all uh, in learning about Unity, almost everything that you're being taught in all these courses and stuff is not programming. There's almost no programming. Like, here's how you things. navigate the here's how interface. You navigate the menus. Here's how you put. Here's how you assemble all the kinds of components that are built into this thing. Right. Uh, Here's what a game object is. Yeah, it's just it's a different thing. You, say, you so, check this box, and now this thing has physics. Like, yeah, you didn't, right. you didn't program anything. You just yeah, checked the all. physics box. Right. Yeah, so I think so. It's a, it's a different way of of thinking. So yeah, so that's different enough that I would I I'm approaching that the same way I would approach just like learning art, for example, which mm-hmm. is I'd be like I'm not gonna just go start drawing. I'm gonna go take a course. I'm gonna right. go like get really in there because I know too little for for like the really cursory stuff. Well, you, you have to start with the how do I hold this fucking pencil question, yeah, yeah, right? right? Because yep. I mean, I remember when I was first starting, I was like, I don't know. And no one would talk about it. I was like, I had to find, I had to go dig up some YouTube videos. I just yep. had to ask the question on YouTube because all the courses I was taking, everyone just assumed that you knew how to hold a pencil. On that note, and related but also unrelated, if anybody listening has not ever looked up knife skills like for for cooking, you know. Oh, I thought you meant like for fighting, not for fighting. Although that too, <laughs> but no, for 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 like, how do you hold a chef's knife and how do you like properly use mm. it? I 100 percent guarantee you were doing it wrong. It's so, like okay. with a, it's like with a pencil. It's like I 100 percent guarantee uh, you were doing it wrong. You're supposed to hold it uh, like the serial killer style, right? So no, yeah, straight and you just down, stamp the shit. And then you just stab. That's how yeah. you chop, right? But because your fingers are actually on the on the blade like on the top of the blade as you're using it. So your, your hand is like really high up on the, oh. on the handle and you're actually like holding onto the blade. So you're using it more like a, like a chop. Oh, it's well, cause then there are a whole bunch of emotions that you can do. So like, I, I just, it's something you should, anybody who ever cooks at home ever just look up. I think, I think was that Jamie Oliver? Is that the guy's name? Mm-hmm. Um, and a few other people have really nice tutorials on like just like basic knife skills. And I, I think also it is, just, it changes your life. Well, it's one of those things. Like just follow something that, that you've maybe been doing for a while and you want to do it better. I remember yeah, I was, you just dig in. When I first started cooking, I was using a bunch of uh, bell peppers. And then at one point I was like, chopping these bell peppers is taking me too fucking long. Yeah. There must be a better way. There's some. And I Googled it. And yeah. surely enough, someone <laughs> yeah. was like, here's how you do it in like four seconds. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, bah, bah, bah. Yeah. it was awesome. But, yeah. uh, but there's yeah. a, I think there's, there's two parts to this. Like one is 
is you need to make sure that you have the, that you give yourself this time and space to learn new things. Yeah. And a lot of that comes down to sort of your uh, routines and habits. Mm-hmm. So if you've, if you've orchestrated your home life or your sort of like normal structure of your day such that like you get home and you're just like, boom, on your phone watching Netflix or, or whatever. And that's just kind of your mode throughout the evening. Then like you're just not going to learn new stuff because you're kind yeah. of stuck there. Yeah. So your first move is to figure out how to how to break create those patterns to mm-hmm. create the space and then also to make it so that your new default becomes reading books or, or whatever it is. Um, and, I, and I think the other thing kind of in line with with this like how do you hold a pencil or how do you cut vegetables? Mm-hmm. Like people tend to develop this weird attitude where they're like, I fucking know. I've been doing this for 30 years. Yeah. Like yeah, I yeah. know how to hold a pencil. No, you don't. You, you don't. Nobody ever really taught you that mm-hmm. thing, right? And so you have and to kind of get did, away from your you own You learned ego. it from some rando. There's some other rando out there who's doing it better. Yeah, there's a billion techniques. Yeah, and so so kind of just like letting go of the of the ego side of it and just being like, I probably don't know Anything. a damn thing about yeah. even the things I've been doing my whole yep. life. Uh, and once you kind of get there, then you can just kind of be excited about pretty much everything that you come across because yeah. it's all it's all new. It's all really. learning. All right, well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net. We've got links to the community Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.